the notion that they thought that this would be good. Ah, oh, Dave, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie didn't live up to the hype for them. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. And this week, I am joined by one of our returning regular guests. His name is Drew, and we are going to be watching a movie that neither of us has ever seen before. That movie is Step Brothers from 2008. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Drew, welcome back. Ah, hello again. Hello again. Good to have you as always. Always good to be here. Drew, how has it come about that neither one of us has ever seen this movie? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, if I'm honest, and I know you, the listener, appreciates when I am, uh, there are probably a few factors I can point to that uh, that had me putting off the view for this movie. So... You know, we talk about this factor a lot. Generally, this question raises the the question of uh, what's the level of peer pressure that that you've gotten to uh, to see this film. I'd say I've I've heard others refer I feel to like this one generates a lot. Well, for me, for me, it 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 has, but it's been it's been uh, sort of in bits and pieces, like. You know, every now and again, someone might mention Step Brothers, and uh, within the friend circles that I have, when it when it comes up, the 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 feedback is usually good. Like like I can tell that those who have viewed it have enjoyed it, but I don't get a lot of like I don't get lectured about oh why haven't you seen it or you got to see it because of X Y and Z or Drew. You would really enjoy Step Brothers. You got to get out there and see it as soon as you can. Um, I have reason. There are many reasons why uh, I should be and and am attracted to see the movie, but uh, I haven't been sort of like the recipient of a sustained campaign of shame and guilt and get out there and see Step Brothers as soon as you can. Or, you know, what kind of a Will Ferrell fan are you, Drew? Yeah, well, it's kind of the same for me. I will point out, though, another tick in our disfavor is the fact that this movie is constantly on TV. 
So I have actually, I'm not going into this completely blind. I've caught big chunks of this, just like flipping channels. Okay. So I've seen probably like all aggregated together, like probably like 25 minutes worth of this film, but not, not the whole thing. But I know a lot of people have seen this and I know it's popular. I don't have a lot of friends you know, pushing me to see it. It's a relatively recent film too. You know, it's from 2008, which I can't believe how long that is, long ago that is now, by the yeah. way, fuck. <laughs> um, but it's more just kind of like periodically you kind of hear people have this reaction where it's like, oh my God, Step Brothers, such a good movie. Oh my God, <laughs> I love Step Brothers. It's so funny. However, that reaction kind of tends to come from people whose opinion on film I don't respect. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> oh, damn. Um, Shots fired. And we can get into that a little bit more. But basically, like, I don't trust it. I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Right. The, 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 where you've been hearing this from. And uh, I mean, we have one name out the bag, but uh, it sounds like your impression is pretty much like you would say that even if it was mediocre or worse. Go to hell, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all right. So, you know, at least we've made our apologies. Let's, uh, let's dive into this. So you think Will Ferrell's in it, huh? I do. I do. I might venture a guess at one other actor who laid on me this. I believe a man by the name of John Riley. Has he got any kind of like initial or anything? C John C Riley. I can roll with that. Okay. Okay. Anybody else you think is in this? No, it's just them and all of the other characters are voiced by them coming from off camera. Oh, it's a two-hander. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. That, dynamic that, duo. No, that that's would not make it interesting. true prediction, no. But I, 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 I'm not, I'm not able to. Uh, well, I guess I could, I could uh, maybe guess at one other actor. Shot in the dark. Shot in the dark, only because of the confluence of. Uh, of troops that these actors work with and were known to work with at the time, which I'll refer to a lot Mm -hmm. in this segment. Um, I'm going to guess that uh, Ben Stiller's wife, I don't know the actor's name, uh, but she, she plays the, the female lead in the Zoolander movies and in Dodgeball and um, Christine Taylor. Yeah. It's Christine Taylor is my is my, if I'm going to take a guess of another actor who might show up here, I'm guessing Christine Taylor might make an appearance. I was going to say, all right, I have one guy who, because I've caught a little bit of it, I, I remember seeing, so I know he's in it, and that's Richard Jenkins, uh, an older gentleman, a good actor, good actor. Where would uh, I recognize him from? I don't know the name. Cabin in the Woods. Have you seen that? Yes. He's yes. one of the two dudes in the control center. Okay. That's not, that's not recalling a face, but when I see him, I'll probably You'll recognize him. Recognize right? he's him. He's the older yeah. one in the control center. Okay. And he's in, he's, he's a like really 
worst character actor. He pops up all over the place. Yeah. Good actor. Um, I'm going to take a couple shots in the dark as well. Uh, and, you know, they might not be big roles, but uh, I'm going to guess we're going to see Paul Rudd somewhere. Okay. Yeah, it's probably solid. You know, um, and uh, David Koechner. Who's David Koechner? He's the guy who is in Anchorman. He rounds out the crew. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He... um. Is he in the movie Waiting as well? Plays yeah, isn't he? He's the um, and he's he plays the manager, Todd, right? He, yeah, and he plays Todd Packer in uh, the Office, which which is what is one of those things that I'm pressuring you is awesome. I know that you have your whole thing on, on cringe humor. Yeah, but, no, no. but but we digress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, here's, uh, you know, speaking of this whole running crew of uh, actors who've worked together a lot, this modern day Brat Pack, uh, do you think you know who directed it? No, no, I'm, I'm confident that I don't. I'm willing to lay my life down that it was Adam McKay, who's the one who directed all the others. He directed like Talladega Nights and, you know, all, all the Will Ferrell right. ones. So. You know, I'm I, guessing I'm, I haven't probably, seen it like I haven't seen a credit sequence, but I'm I would bet all the money in the bank that he's the director of this one, too. Was he the director of Walk Hard? No, actually, he wasn't. Okay. Um, the director of Walk Hard was Jake Kazdan. And okay. um, the, the weirdest thing, actually, you know, the movie, um, the zero effect. Oh, um, remind it's got me about that one. Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller, and they play like a modern day Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Our friend okay. Matt was really into that movie, and he showed it to us when we were in high school. Jeez. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember that one. Um, well, he directed that, and I remember like kind of like having a movie night and showing it to people, just being like, "Oh, this this is a great movie. Everyone should see." And like everyone hung out, we all watched it. People enjoyed it. They went home, and then I was hanging out by myself, and Walk Hard came on TV, and I was like, "Great, I like this movie. I'll watch it." Watched it, and then it's over, and I'm like, credits come up also directed by Jake Kazdan. And I'm like, what the fuck? How did I accidentally have a Jake Kazdan movie night? And also, I'm pretty sure that up until that point, they were the only two films he'd ever directed. We're, and aren't they wildly different in terms of genre, content? They're pretty different, yeah. Huh, weird. Okay, yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah, kind of a kind of a tangent but whatever hey it's cool that you knew all that um all right so what else about this movie are there any quotes you think you know um god i i what don't... do you even think it's about well let's get all right let's put i can that get, on the i can get into that but let me just address quotes because i'll say i remember seeing the trailers for this when it was when it was in theaters originally so I, you know, I, I have the trailer level sense of what this film is about, you know, based on seeing in trailer years ago, not that I remember anyone other than uh, 
Will Ferrell and John C. Riley being in this. That said, uh, I can pose the following predictions from my hazy recollection. The gist is that Will Ferrell and John Riley are stepbrothers. Now it's uh, the 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 movie is basically a vehicle for Will Ferrell and John Riley to spend a feature length film's worth of time acting like man children, mm-hmm. um, and you know I uh, I started jotting down that I wasn't quite clear on like their background together and their circumstances, but knowing that they're stepbrothers. I think the scenario is that, you know, one of each of their parents has just recently got married and what unfolds is them living together in a room, sharing a bunk bed and uh, like hilariously being set up to live together as though they were not 40 year old men, but, but, you know, nine year olds. Hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's, you know, they get to they get to act like kids, but these are grown ass men, which is always a great uh, premise for comedy. Mm. Um, I have other predictions and things, but uh, throw them out there, man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, part of me wonders. I do wonder, like, what the deal with their parents is, and how the the like how are they going to paint the character of the parents themselves? I picture like older people who are like mentally infirm enough to facilitate this, like treating two grown ass men, like they're little kids. And then another aspect of it is they're just grown ass men who naturally wind up falling into acting like little kids we will have uh, matching ugly sweaters that they wear. I'm pretty clear on that. I'm pretty sure that the movie poster features this and them with goofy smiles uh, hmm. posed together like it's a family portrait. Um, the sweaters to me suggest that uh, they're getting together might be some something somewhere around the holidays perhaps. Um, that we get to see them. I mentioned the bunk beds. I think we're going to get a healthy dose of brotherly pranks uh, against one another. Okay. We'll see that come up. Do you, what do you think the plot will be? Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much not nothing that much deeper than what I mentioned, like one of their, one of their parents marries the other, uh, they under some ridiculous pretense, maybe the holidays they're, Mm. they're there in the one home and having to be introduced to where they're sharing a, a, a room with a bunk. Uh, I do, you know, I do think that that plot line alone would be too stale. So I expect that they're going to introduce some love interest, a female lead who our two brothers will be in competition for okay i think that's a kind of low-hanging fruit trope that i'd be surprised if they didn't play on and uh yeah i think christine taylor is is my likeliest pick for who will play that role okay 
other than that, well, those are predictions for the film. I have other notes that are not as much about uh, what happens in the plot and more about some of the background and some of the questions I have. Okay. So that's probably well, about I'll, it. I'll take a turn then. As I said, I've seen a bit of the movie, so doing much more in the way of predictions for me would be kind of cheating. That being said, I haven't seen much of it, and I haven't seen the end, and I've heard people talk about the end, and it. I think basically there's a big climactic scene at like a frou-frou ritzy like boat party or something, mm. you know, like one yeah. of these like big kind of stately affairs that they'll crash somehow. Uh. But uh, I, I have, instead of really kind of uh, factual predictions, I have more of a uh, personal prediction about how I'm likely going to respond to this film. Okay. I have that ready too. Well, let's see if they match up. I'll go first. I think this movie's gonna fucking suck. Haha. <laughs> um I you know, I don't know what your history with Will Farrell is. Uh I think he's fine. I watch all of the other Will Farrell movies and think they're fine, but I think they're incredibly disposable and mm. the love they get baffles me. I mm. think they're insanely overrated. Like, you know, I've seen Anchorman, I've seen Talladega Nights, I've seen yep. whatever the fuck else. And I just like, I will laugh a few times during them and find them fitfully amusing, but I don't find them to be good movies at all. And you know, I think there's this, uh, whatchamacallit, YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting that I've referenced many times before. Mm -hmm. And they've called out kind of in a sideways way part of what bothers me about this whole kind of mini genre of film yeah. is that um, you take, say, an Edgar Wright movie, which is also a comedy, mm -hmm. and you see that this is a lovingly and painstakingly crafted work of art. Whereas all of those movies feel lazily conceived and sloppily executed. Mm. They will have funny standout moments for sure, but for the most part, they are completely disposable. They feel like, the limit to what happened was they're like, well, we know we've got Will Ferrell. Yep. So our work here is done. And I feel just, like in this, they're going to be in front of the camera. We have some premise or gimmick. And we, yeah, you know, there, it, it, there, there's not going to be much work. You know, it's like, all right, we've got Will Ferrell. We've got John C. Riley. They're two hilarious men. And this takes nothing away from them. In fact, it actually is more of a compliment to them because they'll be expected to carry the film. Right. It's just they're going to point the camera at them and just say riff. Yeah. And that's all that they're going to do. I feel like out of all of them, this one is going to be the worst of the bunch because, you know, at least Anchorman, Talladega Nights or whatever, they sort of had 
it felt like some kind of semblance of a plot. But on this one, I'm worried that this is just going to be a completely plotless hangout with two stunted man children. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. That it's just going to be like they thought, well, we've got these two hilarious characters. We don't even need a fucking story. <laughs> you know, we were job done. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, and that's not to say that I won't laugh at the movie and that I won't find it fitfully entertaining yet again, yeah. but I'm going to walk away thinking that it's not a good film. Okay. What about you? Yeah. Um, interesting similarities and interesting contrasts here. Okay. So, um, I do think I'm going to like it. And and the the biggest contrast I would say for me uh I I find Will Ferrell to be like he he tickles my funny bone in a way that no other no no other comic actor does. I just there's just something about his uh very unique way of being as silly as possible in a very straight faced and just like his he the awkwardness. Hilarious. Yeah. He just, no one else does it quite like him. I just, just the way he is just, I, I, I lose it. Um, so he like, I'm kind of a sucker for Will Ferrell. So there's that, that aspect going generally. I like him when, when I see him and stuff. Um, but uh, on the other hand, like, I'm anticipating the same level of vapidness to the plot that you are here. I mean, I'm going in kind of thinking the same thing, like, will you know, the one stick of the, be running stale? Like, basically, one of the questions I actually have was, is this based on an SNL skit? Is it one of those? And don't answer that for me now, but, I you know. I don't know. To answer that generally uh in my experience those those movies tend to be pretty bad yeah um you know so if it's one of those uh again will ferrell um john c Riley, eh, he's he great walk this... hard okay i haven't seen that either oh that one's awesome i've seen clips from it that have cracked me up but it's got a but... plot though right so it's got a story one, that it's telling this seems like and chronologically, I have to I have to guess that Step Brothers came out both after Talladega Nights and Walk Hard. Because to me, this must have been produced at the period when Will Ferrell had just come out with, you know, the story of Ricky Bobby and John C. Riley came out with it, you know, they had these they had these individual comedy biopic things happening that were hits at the same time. And then someone must have said, oh, well, let's just get these two, these two really hot uh, actors together for a film right now. It doesn't even like, just give me some semblance of a premise and camera Job done. And we're, and we're done. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that said, like, I, I really liked Anchorman. If I saw Anchorman 2, it didn't leave that much of an impression with me, but... I, I fucking love Zoolander, um, and I love but Zoolander's 
uh, Ben Stiller movie. It's not like from this crew. Okay, but I I kind of I kind of associate just from the crossover and cast members. I know it does have Will Ferrell. Very different. But as far as, you know, Will Ferrell roles, you know, Mugatu is just like I love what he does with that character. It's just it. uh, That's probably that character is probably the height of my my favorite Will Ferrell performance there but I really like him in old school as well you know and that that's another of those where like no the plot's not that great I mean it's just it's uh it's kind of you know this whole but it's but it's got one it's got one it's sure it's got one but it's like it's kind of a similar thing where it's like the premise is well let's just throw some grown-ass men yeah into college and and the hilarity ensues the best part of that movie and i have no i have no recollection about what this had to do with the plot at all best part of the movie in my book is when will ferrell's again i have no reason why that no no recollection of why but he's for some reason he's he's uh on a challenge going and taking a run and he he (laughs) he has a he has a carton of milk (laughs) And he's he's walking, he's running, he's halfway through, he's sweating, and then then he he opens the cap and he's like, he's clearly like dying. He's clearly at the point of exhaustion and dehydration, and he goes, milk was a bad choice. And then he just <laughs> downs the milk and it spills all over him as he continues to run. I just like that moment is side splitting to me. That moment is just like Yeah, he he is hilarious. I just I feel like uh, you know, it's He's kind of a victim of his own success and that people think that that's enough, that all they got to do is point the camera at at him and you've got a movie. Right. And like by now, I've seen I feel like the later the later instances where I've seen Will Ferrell, like on a talk show or something like that, like I do get the sense of like, man, being Will Ferrell right now must be weird because you have all these all this success and like everyone treats you like a God for these iconic roles that you were in before. But like, it's, I don't know, like it, it just being in his skin as a celebrity must be weird as hell. I probably, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Like part of me feels like he's, he's trying to, I I don't know what I'm saying. I just, that I, I, I feel like he's, I don't want to, I'm saying he's past his prime and 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 trying to live up to an image everyone has of him. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Even okay. though I love him, <laughs> I I think I think the best of his career is behind him. Got it. Got it. But it wasn't when this movie came out. This is 2008. Remember? Okay. So maybe maybe it'll maybe this movie will surprise us. Who knows? Could yeah. I, I mean, hope it again, does. I think I'm gonna enjoy it. I just I I. I might be with you as far as like, I think I'm going to walk away maybe not having a ton of respect for the, for how good a film this was ultimately, you know? Yeah. I mean, basically that's what I'm, you know, I feel like that will be a positive outcome that I'll laugh a few times and it'll be fine. But the final judgment call on this episode is, uh, yeah, well, that's very much in doubt. Yeah. All right, you got you got any more predictions before we uh, finally watch it? No, I have nothing else. That's all. I, that's all I wrote. All right. Well, 
that was a that was one of our more longer in depth part ones. But you know, see, this movie, uh, this silly comedy, engendered a lot of strong feelings in us. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited, well, and I mean, I I didn't feel like I wrote down a lot of notes, but uh, yeah, a decent amount to to cover here. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I get let's let's see if the movie turns out to be worth it. Yes. Right on. All right. Well, we will be back right after we watch Step Brothers. Yeah. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. And so we're back. And we have just finished watching Step Brothers. Me, quite literally, I just finished watching the movie a few minutes ago. Drew, I think you watched it yesterday. I did, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I Let's suffice it to say I didn't catch all of the end. So I, too, have just uh, watched that portion. Right on, right on. Well, Drew, what did you uh, think of Step Brothers? Well, um... So we're going to get to the, the final judgment call. At the, yeah, at just the, give me a quick hit here. reaction. Um, I believe the quote that I wrote down about 20 minutes in was, where is it? Yeah, really bad. Dot, dot, dot. Yep. Now, you know, on this podcast... I usually position myself as kind of the voice of reason. I like to be the calm, reasonable one, you know, let my guests speak their mind, maybe mm-hmm. push back on it a little bit, play a little devil's advocate. Try to temper things a little bit. Try to get yeah. the full range of perspective on the on the film, right? Right. Yeah. Well, not this time. Fuck this movie. This movie fucking sucks. I mm-hmm. am so not coming in with an open mind, but I was completely open about that in part one. And I had all of my prejudices and biases 100% validated by how shitty this movie was. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and to, to maybe add a little bit of temperance to the, to the assessment here, no. you know, well, no, it's I okay. Came, Go ahead. <laughs> I came in thinking that I would like this because I'm a big Will Ferrell fan. I'm uh, usually down to check out a movie where it's a Will Ferrell vehicle. Um, man, so disappointing. I do think less of Will Ferrell. <laughs> like it was that bad. Yeah. That's how disappointed I am. You know, I, I I've even watched films that are anti-Semitic and been more okay with it, you know, like Mel Gibson mm. is a man who's not a big fan of my people and he made a movie called The Passion of the Christ that is marinated in Jew hate. Mm. And yet I can still, I watch the movie and I'm still like, 
Well, you know, he's got a point of view as an artist and he clearly put in some creative effort and he has a vision and made a pretty good looking film. Three and a half stars. Yeah, right. This movie, I felt insulted by the contempt that the creators had for their audience Mm. and how lazily put together and made it was. Yes. Oh God. And just the, the notion that they thought that this would be good. Ah, Dave, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. There wasn't enough material here to pad out a five-minute SNL sketch. Right. right. And they brought it out to feature length. Yes. And the 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 execution was at the level of a, a B SNL, five-minute SNL sketch. Yeah. With a couple of exceptions, like nobody was trying – and it stood out yeah. when people were like, it was so obvious. Like we'll get to some of the details soon, but like someone like Catherine Hahn, who is actually yes. good in this movie. She, she was like this shot of adrenaline whenever she was on screen, because it was someone actually like putting in a little effort. Yeah. She was, yeah. She was putting in a performance that, uh, she was putting was in more on the level of a movie where everyone else was, you know, like just fucking around on screen. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Enough of us just ragging on it, I guess. Let's try and actually break this down a little bit. Let's be professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's <laughs> let's keep it classy here. Right. Let's not let's not fall to their level. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We won't have such contempt for well. We do not have the contempt for our audience listener that this movie did. Yes, we care that. about you. But oh, but we have the contempt for the movie that it had for us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh my goodness, that contempt is boundless and boiling over at the moment, seething if you will. Roiling. Okay. So for background on this film, I'm just going to mention that uh, that big party that I predicted at the end of the film was the Catalina wine mixer. The fucking Catalina wine mixer. Catalina wine mixer. It's a big deal. Yeah. And since this movie has come out, that has become a real thing. Oh, really? Like it wasn't and then it be then someone made a Catalina wine mixer because of this movie? Exactly. I hope it's good, man. I hope something good came out of <laughs> someone's choice to make this. Yeah, and I want to I just want to put it out there too like it is okay if you like this film. It even, you know, made me laugh a few times itself. I'm not saying that it was impossible to find this movie funny. I just thought it was a bad movie. Yeah. And it is 100, you know, these things are subjective. It is 100% okay if you 
out there listening liked this movie, that's fine. I don't think it makes you a bad person on the inside. I just didn't, and we're about to spend an hour talking about why. Yeah, so don't get offended if you like this one. Yeah, it's totally fine. So the director of this movie was indeed Adam McKay, who you know Will Ferrell has teamed up with on multiple occasions before. Now, did we say that uh, that was the director for Talladega Nights? He was. And actually, he's had kind of an interesting career. So prior to all of this, Adam McKay was a major player in the improv scene. He's like an OG UCB guy, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Yes. Group that then became a theater and improv school. He also did improv touring and you know instruction and uh performance at improv olympic and at second city so you know those are some major spots mm-hmm. he he became the head writer at snl in 1996 when he was 27 years old and he held the position until 2001 yeah, that's uh, those are some pretty good bona fides right there. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, clearly has had a long, long career with Will Ferrell. Yeah. So the two of them formed the uh, production company Gary Sanchez Productions, which is the production company that's been behind all of these uh, Adam McKay, Will Ferrell team-ups. So... Together, uh, he would direct and Will Ferrell would star in. They made Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and this. Oh, and also The Other Guys, uh, which had Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I liked that. Yeah, it was okay. I'm not saying that they were all bad. I just, um, you know, I feel like they're very uh, hit or miss. And mm-hmm. um, But uh, to keep going, he also made The Big Short, and more recently, he made Vice, yada, yada, yada. The two of them also uh, are responsible for creating Funny or Die. Okay. Anyway, Gary Sanchez Productions, uh, they've broken up since a little while ago. Broke up like the Beatles. But um, he now runs a different production company called Hyper Object Industries. So hmm. still working. Just doing fine. Yeah. Drew, I want to ask you, what did you think of the directing in this movie? Yeah. uh, Kind of like the directing at SNL. Take, take, take the level of directing you expect from a feature movie that you would see at the theater and blend it split the difference with the quality of an SNL skit. And that's kind of what you get. Yeah. You've seen the other ones, right? You've seen Anchorman, Talladega Nights. I don't know that I saw Talladega Nights all the way through. I think, I think I've seen a portion of it. One thing I did notice. I think that's the best one actually. Oh, okay. Well then I need to, I need to give it a a good uh, proper view. If that's the case, I've seen Anchorman. Also has John C. Riley. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say, while I was uh, queuing up Step Brothers, my streaming service showed Talladega Nights as another option, 
And I noticed the movie poster and I was like, oh, oh, John C. Riley's in that shit, too. Yeah. Yeah. They were they're They're a stable of actors that frequently work together. Yeah. I thought that, you know, we keep coming back to the fact that, you know, Will Ferrell's really funny. John C. Riley is really funny. And they are. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of what we are complaining about here lies with the director who. Yeah, I mean, it's as far as as far as um, the use of those actors. It's it's like their their intrinsic uh, funniness is taken for granted, you know, yes. Like beyond it, it wasn't just a level of let's put these actors in front of a camera and just let them riff. It was kind of like, let's put them in front of the camera. And then they're riffing is it's kind of like, I feel like Will Ferrell's just sitting there in front of the camera for a lot of this. They didn't prod him to put in the kind of effort that you feel like he was giving and some of those other ones like yeah. anchorman yeah uh, like i mean it, it didn't feel like he was trying as hard in this one like I, I you know my my guess is part of that was how they wanted to paint the character of these two main characters the man children like they're they're impossibly awkward 40 year old losers who still live with their parents and the portrayal of that awkwardness basically has Will Ferrell nearly mute for the first half hour of the film. I will also say too, there was kind of, there was a, a lack of, I don't, I don't want to keep saying there was a lack of effort because I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again, but there was a lack of creativity and a lack of taking advantage of the opportunity to do something funny throughout this film that yeah. I, we can point I'll point them out in spots where I saw them where just if you had someone who really was more willing to go the extra mile, someone like an Edgar Wright, you could have milked a really funny scene out of it. Like, you know, just as an example, the fight scene that they get into, it was funny and silly as they're fighting and wrecking the house. But if you'd really sat down and planned something truly like epic and filmed it, that fight scene could have been a huge epic hilarious brawl that destroyed the whole house and messed them up you know in the way those uh like family guy chicken fights go that just like keeps escalating and escalating right, and escalating right. and like they didn't really get creative about what happens in the fight like and and, and they do this multiple times throughout the movie and it was very they, short it's very short and they just they wind up like they're just kind of wrestling awkwardly like a couple of dumb kids and that's not that's, enough it's not enough, but it, it again, it's like it's like what they're going for. They think it's gonna it's gonna be super funny that these two grown ass men are like wrestling awkwardly, like a couple of ten year olds who don't even know like how their bodies work yet. You know? Yeah, and I I kept thinking, where's the rest of the joke? It's just not there. Is no. no rest, right? That's the that's yeah. that's it. You know, and I don't know if you felt this way, but they. Several times in this movie, there kept being like a montage sequence and the montage sequence was really short, too short. Like, yeah, they would jump to a montage of them doing some ridiculous stuff, like pulling pranks on each other or like yep. messing with the brother trying to sell the house. And it would be yes. like one 
or two One installments or two long. And then then the montage is over. Like, come yeah. on, people. It's like, like it, and it doesn't build. You know, it doesn't get really crazy. They were hung over at the writer's room. You know, yeah. it's just. It just it stayed relatively pedestrian. It's just like they got the first idea and maybe one more and they're like, good enough. Moving on. Yeah. Pretty lame. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the cast. So we got Will Ferrell playing Brennan, John C. Riley playing Dale. Those are two leads. Do we want to say anything in particular about them? We've said a lot already. Um, yeah. You know, there are. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I add anything as far yeah, as their fine. performance. We will we'll get into talking about specific moments in the plot, right? Sure. Yeah. Moving on. Mary Steenburgen was in it uh, as Nancy. And uh, do you know her? I like her a lot. Yeah. Um, where do I recognize her from? Because I, I, I do, I do like this actor. I do think she's good. She's married to Ted Danson. Oh, okay. But um, also, did you watch Justified? Yeah. She yeah. was a villain in the later seasons of Justified. I don't know. I don't know that I saw her in that then. Cause I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I got to the seasons that she's in. Oh, damn. Really? Yeah. Oh, you got to go back, dude. Justified yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed what I did justified. see. Justified. It's justified. Yeah, I thought she was good, and um, you know, a lot of my criticism does not fall on her because she appeared to be really trying. Same would go for Richard Jenkins, who is in yes. the movie playing Robert. Yep. He 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 played his role well. Once again, the, the, there wasn't a tremendous amount given to him to work with, but he did his level best with what he had in hand. He did his best with it. And I got to say, I definitely empathized with his growing exasperation with the two of them as the movie went on. Yeah. Um, just uh, moving into the smaller characters I wanted to mention, Adam Scott as Derek and Catherine Hahn as Alice. Uh, I mean, I love both of these actors. Um, and they were both pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. I mean, they're, um, if you, uh, they're really good in Parks and Recreation. Oh, I don't watch that. I recommend it. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, gotta watch Parks and Recreation, man. You have oh, my lived. God. This is how episodes start, people. It is, yeah. <laughs> Save it for season four. Okay. Um, Catherine Hahn, I thought in particular, was pretty great. She was, although, like, the way her character was written, I don't know if we'd see a character written quite like that these days. Just the You know, I see what you're saying about how... Uh, there is a bit of a sexist trope to what she's playing, but yeah. she did such a good job with it that it's, it, it almost feels like she kind of got away with it. She transcended, yeah. uh, you know, transcended being a, the trope. a token of the trope. Yeah. yeah. But and it I shouldn't does... say that she got away with it because uh, the writing of it isn't her fault. It's that exactly. she helped the 
movie makers get away with it. Right. But I still blame them a little bit. I mean, well, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you can kind of feel the, the, there's a, there's a misogynist center to some of the humor that, that wouldn't really fly today, I think. Yeah, it would probably be written a little differently, but I don't think you'd have to change a lot. Like she also right. could have been way worse. That's true. Worse. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, that's it for the meta stuff. You want to talk about the plot of this film, such as it is? Yeah, let's, um, I don't know um, how long this will be. But. So to start with, uh, I believe both of us, there is an, a standard and an unrated cut of this movie. We both watched the uh, regular, right? The yeah, rated so I, version. I noticed both of those as well. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the runtime because I was thinking to myself, okay, this movie's gonna be a tight 90. Yep. If it's if it's if it's two hours or or longer, I know like that's that's gonna be a red flag for me. It's gonna be like, okay, this movie thinks it it deserves more than 90 minutes of my time. So in weighing the two options, I did notice that the unrated brought it a little Order, closer please. to two hours. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, no, I can I, tell you exactly. The unrated version was eight minutes longer. And I was like, yep. fuck that. No, <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. I wonder, I do wonder what, what, what content we missed by not seeing the unrated version though, because the regular version had some stuff I would have expected not to see <laughs> except in the unrated version. Yeah. Like Will Ferrell's nutsack. <laughs> yeah. I don't cause I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't see how it could possibly have improved this crap pile of a film. Let's be honest. We both know it's all B roll. Yeah. Um, I mean, shit, this whole movie is pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, all right. So the movie begins and it establishes the two of them as these one of them's 39, but they're basically they're both 40 year old men who live at home with their parents and are obviously very stunted uh, de developmentally, shall we say, more emotionally than mm. in their their skull brain. But the thing that I started to wonder about as I was watching the movie was, um, I wonder if some of my reaction to this movie comes from the fact that the movie is from 2008. 2008. Yeah. And so it was made in a time before the economy really started to suck. And so the way their situation just absolutely reeks of moneyed privilege mm. really rubbed me the wrong way. And so like not to get all political about it because, you know, there's nothing wrong with living at home with your parents because you got to do what you got to do. Right. Except that's the way we feel now more so 
than back then because the you know the way we view the economy has changed so much right i mean it was it was a skyrocketing trend of of young people out of college for a year or a few suddenly living right. at home again once the recession hit i did that so did yeah. i yeah so you know and you know at the time i viewed it as something to be ashamed of but back then it you know you know something that this movie makes fun of right but basically you know what this movie is presenting is something that a lot of people very legitimately view as their worst nightmare you know yeah. having to move back in with your parents and it's presented as like these guys are just doing it cuz they can and it's right. funny that they don't go out and get a job even though they can right you know i yeah it that may have had a part in my inability to kind of get on the wavelength with this movie right on i mean I'll say I took issue with that as well, less so coming from a sense of disdain at the, at the privilege or at the, you know, this. And the lack of appreciation for it. Well, I, my beef is more at the lack of, like, I don't care about these characters because, because we only see them when they're 40 years old and the i can't it's not that i hate them because they're lazily choosing to stay at home and not get a job it's that i don't buy into them as real characters because we're not really given and like it's so shallow a portrayal we're not really given a sense of like the trajectory of their lives of their lives like what like, what why was it about like them this? how did when, they end up this way yeah when they were when they were uh you know teenagers into young 20 somethings what were they doing and like what what help me connect the dots here basically. and also just the way that um basically they're such dicks yeah you know like if you I mean, again, this goes more towards, I guess, the way we look upon it now as opposed to when the movie was made and money grew on fucking trees. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're forced to live at home with your parents, like, that's a situation where, hey, everybody's living together. We're going to make the best of it. We all got to get along and help each other. We're in this, we're on the ship together. But right. they just like lay on the couch and are fucking assholes to their parents. Right, they are. Well, and the other thing that makes it kind of, it, it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief and get into the the world of the movie is that like, it, it's like, it's like that reality. Didn't yeah, how affect, are these people real? How are these people real? Both the, both the, the, the children and you mean to tell me that both parents before they chose to get married had sustained decades of of their son living with them in this manner decades. and accepted it as normal and it took getting married with someone and the two stepbrothers having conflict 
to suddenly get them to care enough to to pressure these uh, men to get their lives together. It just it's all so hokey and, and and like the premises are really. I know it's a silly movie, but the premises are just so dumb that it it's it's hard to you know it's hard to get into it. Usually, I mean all these all these other Adam McKay uh, films that we're talking about. It, it, the the premises in are all not of those there was sort of like a stupid. heightened reality existing in the entire world where like the whole world was a heightened reality right that wasn't this, the case it, here it's sort of trying to like show a, a much more like i mean they, there are weird people throughout the whole thing but you know they are just i i could not understand how they existed exactly exactly you know? Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So we meet them and start to get to know them a little bit. Brennan masturbates to a workout video. Another thing I just couldn't understand because they, he masturbates to this. They also masturbate to uh, porn magazines later or they look at porn magazines later. So they exist in this world in which there's no online pornography. In 2008. And even in 2008, there was porn on the internet. I can yeah. personally attest to the fact that it existed. Like if it was 1998, right? Then the the broad access is, a, is maybe a lot less, but by 2008... And especially seeing what else these these kids, what what else these guys are up to, like they have a Dale has a has a soundproofed recording studio jam room set up. He knows how to surf the internet. Yeah, you, you honestly mean to tell me that these guys in this situation don't have a laptop that just like auto fills Pornhub? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's the most unbelievable part of the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. It really is. Okay, so we meet them. We meet the parents who uh, bond over the fact that they both have these 40-year-old loser children. Mary Steenburgen is actually pretty, pretty attractive. Richard Jenkins landed himself a beautiful older woman. They do a very good job of making her super attractive in that scene where, you know, <laughs> she's wearing that that uh, periwinkle blue uh, suit. Yeah, and then, surrounded and, you know, by suits. Yeah, but it's just the way that they spotlight her. They, 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 they do a great job just making her like an obvious, ob gorgeous object from yeah. his perspective from the podium. It's that that shot was well done. That that moment sure. was was yeah. was interesting and he's not bad either he's kind of a catch yeah yeah that's right i mean you know the that couple it's, sure, I, cool. I find it nice when like people have these like late in life second acts you know i'm always yeah, kind of like right. good for them the like the you know the craziness that moment was fun like e even though it's ridiculous that he <laughs> he he makes some comment about uh you know meeting her breasts essentially oh, yeah. uh, you know that the way that that all goes down is uh it's charming yeah it, it, it is. was i liked it 
So they get married. She's moving into his house and the two boys meet each other. And at first they do not like each other. So we have an awkward family dinner. Um, Brennan kind of almost cries at this dinner. And this is kind of to what we're talking about as to like, how can I believe that these guys are real? Right. I mean, I'll say like that moment when he cries at the dinner table is like, and the, and the, like, it's the moment where he turns from having just been a blank canvas to when we get a true Will Ferrell, like turn the awkwardness dial up and, and give us, give us that Will Ferrellness right now. There's that some actual moment, characterization there. Yeah. That moment actually like grabbed me by that funny bone and like tickled hard. I really did enjoy his grimacing and like the crying, like just that awkwardness. But I enjoyed it in the same way that I enjoy like a like a 10 second clip from an SNL skit that he's in where I get to see just that moment. You know, yeah. I like when he does that. He doesn't do it enough in this film. <laughs> Dale lays down some roommate rules. And, you know, this I could appreciate because we've all had dick roommates. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, being like, put your name on your food. Or it's going to get eaten or thrown out. That brought back some wonderful (laughs) memories for me. Um, And he also, he has this drum kit room. And he sets up, don't ever touch my drum set. Don't ever touch it. And according to to Brennan, he never does. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll circle back to that. Don't (laughs) worry. But also, because of the drum kit, they have to share a bedroom. Which is... Could you do that? I mean, we're not even 40 yet, but uh, could you share a bedroom with uh, someone else your age? No. I mean, if I were in that situation, I would. I mean, I wouldn't be in that situation. It's the thing. <laughs> OK, but but if I were, I would I would I would kick him out and make him move into that drum room. Yeah, like, I get you know, the drum like room. there are two there are two rooms here. Like your room is the just just sleep in your in your jam studio Fuck room. the drum set room like there's I want... enough room there for a bed and the drum kit <laughs> there's so much space in that room god all right so it, actually you know kind of contradicting a little bit of what we said earlier they do mary steenbergen and richard jenkins do have a conversation about how this happened like why are the boys like it it wasn't really enough but th- they talked briefly about at least how they ended up here and so in her case uh in richard jenkins case john c Riley, who's dale he graduated from college and then just moved home and just started coasting off his dad's money and that was that he just never grew up after that okay mary steenbergen and will farrell whose name is brennan he actually has a little bit more of a story. He was traumatized by a cruel prank that his brother pulled where he was singing, which is the thing he loves to do mm-hmm. most in the world at a talent show. And his little brother, who at this point is Adam Scott, 
got everyone to start chanting, Brennan has a mangina. Oh, yes. And I will admit that I did laugh at this part because they actually got it to build a little bit where all of the kids join in. Then some of the cruel parents started to join in. Yeah. Steenbergen says, and I have to admit for a few minutes there, I also joined in myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got into it. Okay. Good job. Yeah. You actually managed to take it up a few levels. Nicely done. (laughs) And so he never sang in public again. And so we get uh, a backstory and a, a, bit of trauma and the setup yeah. for something to happen later it's yeah. like the the best scene in the entire movie it does the most legwork <laughs> yeah. that we're gonna get for anything in this film so they get into this prank fights war montage but again very short too short it's like two things yeah, yeah. and then also going to the shortness, we get uh, Brennan walks past the forbidden drums and they have this sort of like it's forbidden music that they play. Mm. Do you remember? It's like the you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Every time he looks at it, you know, where it's it's like a siren call, but he knows it's forbidden. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. And all that. So the music and the editing and everything, it suggests that this is something where it's tempting him and he's going to try and resist it for a while. You know, mm-hmm. this is the setup for something that's going to happen. It's going to pop at some point. He's going to crack. Pops immediately. There's yeah. no resistance. There's no, there's no further. So he just, he immediately goes in and starts fucking with them. Mm-hmm. Just no, no setup. No restraints. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Whatever. Don't bother to fill that balloon before you pop it. Just just slap the slap the empty balloon all you want. Yeah. They get in a fight about it because Dale comes home. He's like, did you touch my stuff? And OK, this is relatable, though, because I'm sure you've been in a situation where, like, you know, someone has done something. And you can't prove it. But like, you know, they did it. They know they, they did know it. They did it. And you're just like, oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I don't know when the last time you had to deal with something like that is, but you don't have siblings, do you? No, I don't. But I imagine there's a decent amount of that with siblings. Oh, yes, there is. Yeah. Particularly in the did you touch my stuff variety. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So they get in a fight. And I I was amused by the fact that... um, the the lie is exposed because he knows cops doesn't start until four. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, his he, his main evidence, he, he noticed that there's a crack on one of his drumsticks. Fine. That isn't coming from anywhere else. Mm. And you're right, Drew. They do actually show Will Ferrell's balls. Yeah, it that was real, right? That wasn't just like a prop. I think it was probably a prop. I want to know the answer to this trivia. <laughs> well, Google it. See if you can figure it out. I'm Googling it um, right now. So they have this big house wrecking fight. And this is what I was talking about, where if they hadn't been so lazy, this was an opportunity to have a fun, creative, crazy scene. They could have like had stunts and an enormous amount of destruction. Like, Just imagine what Edgar Wright could have done with this scene. 
You know, they could have wrecked so much stuff and brought in like, you know, emergency services. Like it could have built so far, but they just didn't. Whatever. This big fight is the last straw for the parents. And they say, you guys have one month to find jobs and then you're out. Finally. Yes. Good. Then we get a scene which I think is the absolute nadir of the whole movie. Which is that it turns out they both sleepwalk. Yeah, this was this was the the scene where I wrote down, yeah, really bad. And in parentheses next to yeah, really bad, I have kitchen scene. Yeah, it's just it's just drivel. It's just it's it's not acceptable for an SNL skit. It's just bad. It's really stupid. It's really it's it's it is even stupider than everything else. Like we've spent this whole time complaining about how kind of we can't buy into how dumb and immature these guys are and how it takes us out of the movie and how unrealistic it is, even in the the full knowledge that it's just a silly comedy. But this scene takes the fucking cake, man, because the whole time I'm watching it, all it is is we're watching Two grown adult men just walk around saying gibberish and destroying stuff. Yeah. To know there's no joke there. There's no story element. There's no punchline. They're just walking around going like i I can't get into theater of the absurd i like i i i enjoy that that type of comedy but this is just really stupid it's 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 beyond it's an attempt at that type of humor but it's just too dumb it could have been funny if it had come out of nowhere like if they had both been really like straight-laced normal characters who suddenly did that but because it's basically just like a half a rung down from everything else they'd already been doing already yeah there's no contrast for it to be funny right and so it isn't it's not you know yeah this scene is where this scene was the scene that that when i passed judgment on the film this is the one that where where I said, yeah, this is really bad, and this 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 movie and its attempt at humor is too juvenile. Yeah, it's it's the one where I, you know, like I said, I never came in with a fully open mind, but it was the scene where I officially was like, I'm not even gonna try to like keep the door open anymore. Like I'm out. Right. Like. I, I couldn't after this. So anyway, uh, Mary Steenbergen, whose character is named Nancy, she starts crying when she sees this because, you know, as well she should, right? Imagine how hard it must be for her. You know, how worried you would be for your son. <laughs> you know, your 40-year-old yeah. son who's <laughs> like that and doing this. Yeah. I'd, I'd mean, cry. Yeah. This is like... You wouldn't have to do very much to change this movie to make it a searing family drama. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just take a little bit of the attempts at humor out 
and just make it a little bit yeah just just make it a serious movie about these two men who just have like serious emotional problems yes just like it's 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 ptsd level brennan's actually heavily medicated and that's why he can't function (laughs) or can barely function it's uh now these are some characters that i that i can feel for you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i can empathize with them yeah no they didn't give us enough for that though dude let's let's do a a rewrite of this and then pitch it (laughs) all right brennan's brother derek comes to visit and this is adam scott and um, this is actually not bad because he is at least a somewhat interesting, different character. Uh, and Catherine Hahn is with him and she's yep. fucking brilliant. The whole time when they're driving up in the car, she has this amazing blank look on her face. Yeah. That's just hilarious. And so Derek is the kind of douchebag who would wear a leather jacket to the dinner table. Hmm. And um, he, though wins over Robert pretty fast and it Richard Jenkins childlike enthusiasm for Derek is kind of funny just the fact that like he's a somewhat 40-ish year old man who isn't a complete pathetic loser right well and it's his whole shtick that he's quite the opposite and he made over whatever $550,000 last year and I mean, I I do I do like some of his one-liners. Yeah, no, he is funny. He does say a few words that probably uh, I didn't think they flew back in two thousand and eight, but um, I mean, yeah. I know they're they're used to establish him as a bad guy, so whatever. Yeah, but but yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't get that f word really uh, that casually these days. Or the uh, the r word. Which I actually actually oh, yeah. think I actually said on a previous podcast, but I'm trying to do better. Yeah. Anyway, he follows the boys out to Dale's treehouse where they're yep. sulking and looking at magazine porn. And it is he, funny when he pops up and says it. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> it's also kind of funny when he shows off his abs. Yes, I laughed my ass off at that part. Uh, yeah, he goes. <laughs> I wrote the line down. So he comes up and you know he says that, and then he's he's he pulls up his he pulls up his shirt, and it's obviously uh, not Adam Scott's no, real the, chest. The it's obvious zo- fakeness of the insert like shot is kind of part of what makes it funny. Yeah, it's like perfect abs. Like clearly, this is a like ripped like bodybuilder's abs, and then he <laughs> he goes, "This is what I live with." <laughs> <laughs> I just love that line. This is what I live with. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so it's like he's so he's so he's so ripped and chiseled that it's like a it's like an affliction. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see? This is what, this I, is what I live with. <laughs> <laughs> you you two couldn't handle it. I put up with this every day. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, that moment was was very funny. Yeah. All right. So, he yeah he has a funny line later too actually that I wrote down, which is that he's talking to Richard Jenkins about selling the house and he says, "You know what gets my dick hard? 
helping out my friends. <laughs> it's like the the vulgarity and the douchebagginess of it is like sublime. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, Derek gets punched in the face very deservedly, by the way. Yeah, that yeah, true, true. And this is kind of the big turning point in the movie because uh number 1, his wife Alice gets super turned on by that. And, and it was Dale who did it, not Yeah, Brennan. it was Dale. Uh John C. Riley. And so Alice uh starts really coming on to him hard. Yeah, very hard. Because he did that. Uh and it is really funny. It's like the movie got a shot of adrenaline, right? That yep. you know, a spark of life in that scene where she's coming on to him because I was like, My God, a talented comedic actress actually trying this movie has suddenly started to breathe yeah it's like she's like an oasis in a desert you know yes seriously <laughs> some water to a dying man yeah. um but it also opens the door for the two boys to become friends yep and there is a little bit of sweetness in their bonding i'll admit that yeah, there is. When they when they uh, have that series of rattling off the, the same favorites in unison, and then they go, did we just become best friends? Yeah. yeah. That's, and also, that's I, cool. I liked the, um, the showing off of their favorite things. Like, that's, you know, that's kind of like my, uh, my love language for friendships, you know, is yeah. like showing the stuff that I'm into. And that's like, I guess they could have used more of that kind of thing, you know, like it also, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go with the portrayal of the man children, like they could have done more as far as they made it a lot about them just acting like doofuses most of the time when like, if they had injected more childlike behavior into it and moments like that, that were kind of like authentic things that real yeah, uh, young like genuine, do. genuine idiosyncratic hobbies and yeah. things that they loved instead of just acting stupid. Yeah, I mean, there there was some of that there, you know, yeah. the, the music piece for each of them. But like we didn't we didn't get that authentically into the singing we did. Right. But. No, but you're right. Like wh what is basically one of the biggest ways that people wind up kind of stunted now that we see it's because they're it's because of fandoms right people get so like nerdy and into being fans of various properties they like stop maturing right they forgot to they like forgot to like guy. become their own thing and then <laughs> they just got lost in the in the in the shadow of fandom of some other phenomenon you know yeah so where were there you know they we needed to explore their fandoms a little bit more yeah, that's right. That's right. We yeah, that would have made a big difference. They were a couple of comic book guys with no comic collections. Yes. Ah, uh, well put. Thanks. I'm going to give the movie props though because it is actually pretty dope. Well, one uh samurai sword is dope. But real night vision goggles? Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, that it's a cool thing to have. <laughs> a good line too. Can you imagine if we had them when we were 12? Even better. We've got them when we're 40. 
Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good line. Yeah. That, that is. Yeah. Not bad. All right. Oh. So we get another montage. It's a best wait, friends wait. montage. Wait, before we talk about the other montage. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, this is minor, but the night vision goggles reminded me what, that when they first meet each other, they they don't like each other. And one of the signals of this is that they 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 say, you have to call me. I think uh, Dale says you have to call me Dragon, and then uh, Brennan says you need to call me Nighthawk. Yeah, which comes back. Remind me when it comes back, because I tell you when it comes. Get okay when we get to it. Yeah, we'll circle back to that. Okay. Um. So we get the becoming best friends montage uh, set to Hall and Oates, which is a good choice for song. Again, though, this could have been more creative. They could have pushed this way further. They could have gone up, gotten up to much more interesting and insane shenanigans than what they did, which was just like a couple of old men doing silly, childish things. They could have cranked that up to 11, but they settled for a six. Right. But I guess they thought I mean- that was good enough. Okay. So they want to turn their bunk their beds into bunk beds. They do that. It's the big moment from the trailer. Yeah, that's right. I I I didn't recall that 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 the result of like I thought they had bunk beds. That was like I knew bunk beds were involved, but I didn't I didn't recall anything about how they had tried to assemble a bunk bed out of their two beds themselves and did a poor job and and Brennan gets crushed under a bed. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny. So the next day, they have to interview for jobs. And can you help me with this? Because the way they go about it, I know that this movie takes place in a heightened reality. Mm -hmm. And they they are heightened characters. Mm -hmm. I understand. But are they deliberately trying to throw these job interviews? Or are they actually trying to get the jobs? Yeah. Uh, the first ones that they're in, it's, I don't know if they, like, my honest read on what I saw is that these are men who walked into these interviews with no real intent they walked into them because their their parents kind of prescribed that and that they weren't really once they were in the door in the interview they're just in the moment from there okay that's that's kind of that's my best honest answer to your question if there is a real answer yeah All right. Well, on their way home from having failed to get jobs, they come up with this idea for a company called Prestige Worldwide. Mm. It is a good company name. It is. But before they can finish that, they get bullied by some children. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just all relying on the juxtaposition of their size and their age with what's happening to them. When they get home, 
the parents sit them down and tell them, hey, we are going to sell the house and sail around the world. Your free ride is over. Oh, and another thing, we want you to get therapists. And I was like, fucking finally. Yeah, this is 20 years overdue. No kidding. Uh, you know, I was like, they, <laughs> they're getting therapists? Oh, thank God. <laughs> they need them so badly. Yeah, this is, this is beyond an emergency. Yeah. So uh, before they can launch Prestige Worldwide, Dale actually has to hear Brennan sing. And it turns out that Brennan has the voice of an angel. Yes. Like a combination of Fergie and Jesus. <laughs> now, was that Will's, uh, Will Ferrell's real voice? I think it was. I think so. Yeah. I, I did verify that those were not his real testicles. They were a prosthetic. And <sighs> Thank you for looking apparently, that up. Apparently, he still has that prop and likes to prank his friends with it from time to time. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least something good came out of that film. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we get a couple more montages that are too short. The We get them sabotaging the house showings. We get the uh, therapists that they aren't getting anything out of. Then we get, uh, unless you want to say anything about these bits, so I'm just going to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Okay. All right. It's Derek's birthday, and they want to launch a uh, you know, proposal for a prestige worldwide at Derek's birthday. First, though, Catherine Hahn assaults Dale in the men's room. Now, presumably, he was a virgin before this. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, kind of, I kind of assumed that, too. Yeah, um, I mean, especially given his line, uh, it's all slippery. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 someone who's uh, on their first rodeo. Yeah, that's a funny line. I, I did also like, too, that Catherine Hahn then says she has to pee and then just, like, goes up to a urinal. Like a man. Like a man. Just lifts that leg, like, above her head. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has some, like, uh, odd... Uh, reaction as well right he's just like oh you're awesome or something yeah. like that it is pretty awesome Th that Even i would have been impressed i would have been awesome. very impressed yeah yeah all right so they make their presentation and i'll admit their their rap uh boats and hose was very amusing mm. it, it was very offensive very offensive and, and it was funny it that that uh wasn't uh, the, the mom like commented on how it was offensive. Like there was a line, like the second or third rhyme. She goes, that is offensive. She was right. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked that line from her though. I thought that was funny. But uh, in making the music video, they destroy the fucking boat. Oh no. Yeah. And so that, what, what was it? 50 or $80,000 worth of damage to the boat. I think 80, yeah. Yeah. Um, Richard Jenkins is naturally furious yes. about this, is, this. This is what sets him over the edge. Yeah. Nancy, however, continues to be the kind 
parent and the coddling one, frankly. And this is where that starts to actually sour their marriage. Yeah. Um, so Robert freaks out and actually spanks the boys. Good idea for a scene. Could have been executed better. Yes. Uh, then Christmas is a disaster. Going to keep moving. Yep. Then they announce that they are getting a divorce. And rather amusingly, uh, they ask if it's their fault and they are able to say truthfully, yes, it is entirely your fault. <laughs> I, I liked, I like that. Um, another missed opportunity though, is that uh, John C. Riley says, I'm going to throw up. And then he throws up. Which is hilarious. I love a good puke take. Mm -hmm. They didn't show it. They yeah. should have just fucking shown it. They showed the guy's show balls already. Yeah, you, you you didn't you thought puke you thought we didn't have the stomach for puke. Come on, man, just show show him puking. That would have been funny. Balls can was handle nothing, it. but you gotta hide the puke. Very very curious decision. Really. Anyway, so. Everything's falling apart. You know, we're getting to our late in the movie low point for our heroes, obviously. Yeah. They start fighting again. Brennan buries Dale alive, which was kind of funny. And then we get the real split where they say, we aren't brothers anymore. We never were. We were stepbrothers. <gasps> Ooh. But then... It turns out that this was actually kind of the best thing for both of them. Both of these guys start pulling their lives together. Brennan gets a job with Derek. He starts going to therapy and taking it seriously. Dale gets a job as well. And they fucking grow up. Wow. I, like, such was my, like, place in this movie at that point that I was actually, this was like the happiest I was watching the film where this is supposed to be like, you know, a sad point where you're like, Oh, they're, they're becoming normals. And I was just like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what, yeah, this is what you want for them. Like, right. Come on. I thought the funniest bit in that whole thing was when they showed, uh, Dale going to bed at eight forty three PM, which I found highly relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to the climax of the movie, which is this thing that I'd heard about over and over again as like the funniest part of the whole movie. Like whenever I heard people talk about stepbrothers, it was always like, you know, I'd mentioned that I'd seen bits and pieces of it earlier in the film and people were like, yeah, 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 that's that's great. But like it's the ending that makes it, man. The Catalina wine mixer is so funny. Oh, the fucking Ca Catalina wine mixer. That is the fun, like, you gotta watch at the end with the Catalina wine mixer. You had that part hyped up and open, hyped and hyped. Hyped and hyped. Now, knowing that, Drew, what do you think? Do you think the Catalina wine mixer lived up to the hype? Uh, I mean, relative to the baseline of the rest of the film, the Catalina wine mixer is interesting. Um, Fair enough. Uh, like... I actually thought the scene leading up to the Catalina wine mixer was the funniest part. Where the one that where where Derek's hyping it. 
Yeah, and uh, Rob yeah. Riggle's in that scene. Yeah, where he just keeps going. Pah! 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 What are you saying? Like, are you saying pow? <laughs> pow! And uh, you actually ate a man's penis. This is an international. What does he water. say? Like, uh, he, what, what, he oh, I forget. I forget what he said. He he compares it to. Uh, oh, I gotta find. I gotta find the line. All right, go look it up. Find the, I'll just say, uh, I've seen Rob Riggle live. I saw him do improv at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And it was, um, you know, not just him. He was part of a larger improv troupe, but uh, including, um, you know, some other people who are pretty well known now, but Paul Shear and, you know, some other people. But the point was, it it was the best live improv I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm... These are, these are, this is the back and forth. These are the lines. Okay. Listen. Derek, I have to sell or lease at least 80 helicopters to make my nut. And you, you mess with my nut, Brennan. Randy here is going to eat your dick. And Randy goes, like Kobayashi. And then he does this very disgusting, like he's licking a corn cob. Great, great. uh, Yeah, like the vibe of great improv right there. Yeah. So, and it, actually, during the live improv show that I saw, he also had a very funny joke about eating something. Except it was about eating a sock full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Is this this guy? I'm, I'm not going to talk about an improv show that I saw. Um, <laughs> all right, I am. Uh, this guy was at his first day of work, and Rob Riggle like was like the tough, like cool kid at work, and corners him. He's like, "Hey, man." I run this place. You think I won't eat a sock full of shit? I would never suggest. I'll eat a sock full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Anyway, we're at the fucking Catalina wine mixer. The two boys have grown up and matured. They're both real. They're real boys now. And, um, you get the sense that uh, Will Ferrell has staged the whole thing to get the two oldies back together again. Mm-hmm. But it's all thrown into disarray when the band leaves. What well, to who's do? Who's going to play? Who's going to play? Yeah. What to do? Who is going to play? We need someone who can play an instrument and someone who can sing. Now, who might that be? See, this movie would need to have characters in order to fulfill... Oh, we have, I guess, some semblance of two characters. Snap, dude. <laughs> um, I, I will admit there was at least something to this one part where they both don't want to do it because they've done all of this great progress on themselves yeah. growing up into actual functional human beings and don't want to, like, regress by performing as they would have if they were back in their old selves. Mm. But Richard Jenkins gives them this pep talk about how when he was a kid, he wanted to grow up to be a dinosaur. And when he got older, he lost that youthful enthusiasm and sense of wonderment and belief in himself that he could be literally anything, including a dinosaur, which is impossible. Mm. And he encourages them to not lose their dinosaur. Keep yeah. it weird, kids. <laughs> and they do. Yes, they do. And uh, together they perform a song 
Um, and this, Drew, is where I told you we would circle back to it. Will Ferrell gets up on stage and says, you got it, dragon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. He remembered. And his song moves everyone. Literally everyone. It moves the parents to get back together. It moves his brother into loving him for the first time since they were children. It even he remembers moves... how he taught him how to fly a kite when yep. they were kids. It even moves his therapist who can hear from the dock all the way down uh, by the docks in another part of Catalina into falling in love with him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So what did you think of this part? I thought it was good. I mean, you know, I thought it was a fine way to, uh, to take us on home. Um, I liked, I liked the song. I didn't care for Dale interjecting with boats and hose occasionally. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I don't know about all that hype, Dave. Yeah, I was just going to say it was for all the hype it got. It was pretty mild as far as a climax goes. And it's the type of climax that I've seen before in a Will Ferrell feature. Like yeah. is, you know. It was just fine. Didn't stand out. No. Anyway, six months later, everyone seems to be doing great. And they get the boat that they wrecked as a treehouse for Christmas. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Well, we do get to see them go back to the schoolyard and beat up all the kids as adults. Oh, is that in the post credits? That was like, yeah, like right before the credits. Watch that part. I mean, it's. it's I was still, like seriously checked out by that. It's point. it's it's the it's the minimum level of funny that I wanted from the man child feature length film, like seeing them do like a series of kung fu moves. Some of them like actually hilariously overproduced. Like there yeah. is a shot where the two of them are, they've got, they're surrounded by kids and they're in midair doing like, like rotating flying kicks. And like, we get probably like it, 90 it be, degrees. I mean, are they doing of, actual wire work? I think there's wire work involved, but it's, right, it's that, such that, a that short enough. Funny. And then it's, that's the only, yeah. I think. This is what I, I mean about putting in the extra bit of effort. Yeah, you know? yeah, that part, and it, it, it's the the clip is really short, so you see maybe ninety degrees of their like rotation, their rotational turn, but they're in the air for the whole like couple second shot, and they're like they're kicking kids in a circle around them that are getting hit, and that there are funny. three doves like like also flying <laughs> through them. Like the John Woo style, it's it's like that that shot that shot I liked. <laughs> All right, I'll, you're trying to find it now, huh? I'll give him credit for that. So, Drew, this movie had a budget of sixty five million dollars. Guess the box office. Oh boy! Oh, I guess okay. how much money it made. I should say. Um, this is gross. 
I mean, that's that's what I'll say when you ask me better late than never uh, uh, what my <laughs> final judgment is. But that's but what I meant is is a clarifying. Yeah, the total, the gross revenue. Um, okay, this is this is tough because, like, I feel like the the sheer popularity of the actors would have drawn a lot of folks to the box office, but, and I I'm not sure if. The, the mainstream audience member would have enjoyed this. <sighs> you said they spent sixty-five million making this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna guess it brought in. Why don't I? Why don't I go with uh, forty-five million? Oh, so you think it lost money? Yeah, I'm gonna guess that. It did not lose money. It made $128.1 million. Okay, so this did do well. Yeah, although I've heard that um, because the budget doesn't take into account the cost of marketing, you want to make double the budget to break even. I see. So they if were... that's true, it basically broke even basically broke even yeah huh. all right so rotten tomatoes got a 55 percent critic score which is rotten and it's got a 69 percent audience score which is fresh mm. and nice interesting yeah well you know i feel like with this kind of thing the audience would probably be higher than the critic score yeah yeah i agreed handful of reviews here because I don't think we have to go too deep into this, but here we go. So on the positive side, Tom Long for the Detroit News said, do not go to Step Brothers looking for anything remotely meaningful, sincere, or spiritually enhancing. Go for a laugh. It's got plenty of them. Okay. Stephanie Zacharek writing for Salon, and I am sorry if I mispronounced that, wrote, Stupid, crude, and hilarious, Step Brothers works by sneaking past our better judgment. Hmm. All right. Here's on the negative side. Claudia Puig, or Cloudy Puig. I actually don't know if that's a typo or not. Well, sorry. Writing for USA Today. The concept is inherently funny, but the plot grows thin and the laughs grow fewer once the premise is established. Mm. And then lastly, Richard Roper for Ebert and Roper. Don't watch it on an airplane. Don't check it out on cable. Don't walk past the bargain basement bin where it's been sold. Wow. (laughs) This is like a Breaking uh, green eggs and ham of I will not watch this <laughs> movie. No, I don't give a damn. <laughs> um, all right, so that's all I've got, Drew. Shall we head towards our final round? Oh, let's beeline it. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, do you think this movie was better late or never? Keeping in mind that better late means that it's an essential movie somehow, whereas never means that if you went your whole life without seeing this movie, you'd 
be just fine. Will Farrell, uh, I I think less of you now than I did before. I saw this. It is a never ever. And speaking just for myself, this is the hardest never I have ever given something. It is the most disposable film uh, we've ever watched for this podcast. There's no reason to ever watch this, even any of the other, you know, caveats that we sometimes give where it's like, well, you know, at least you can say you've seen it or, well, you know, it was interesting. And now I know where X thing comes from, you know, none of that, none of that, nothing. This movie offers nothing. It has nothing going for it. It is worthless. If it's on cable and you want to watch it, that's fine. And again, if you want to watch this movie and you do like it, nothing against you. But this movie is pointless. It shouldn't exist. It is a black hole. It is garbage. Don't ever watch it. It's a never. Ever. It shouldn't exist. Get out, get, get out of my fucking face. Fuck Step Brothers. Dunking on you. <laughs> All right, I got a little hot there. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, got anything else to say before I wrap this up? Just wow. I mean, we have we have a new champ in town as far as the never column. Yeah, we do. We'll see if anything ever surpasses it. Um, that's our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch with us and tell us all about how you really did like Step Brothers, please do. Uh, you can email us at betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. Like, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Smash. Yeah. Uh, leave a five-star review, comment, do all the other fun engagement-y things that other podcasts have described better than I ever could. And make sure you tune in next time because we'll have another presumably much better film to talk about when we come back so drew it was great having you fun being here and it was great ripping this movie apart with you more fun than the movie itself oh yeah yeah and that is it we will catch you next time bye Peace.